Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to The Novelcast. Cybersource, The Awakening, Chapter 40. Regina sat beneath the overpass, leaning against the concrete embankment as the sun began to rise, its golden light filtering between the eastward buildings and lightly falling upon her position. They would only have the light for a short while, before the sun rose above the overpass and dropped them in shadow throughout the day, and so Eddie wanted to get started with the operation to remove Regina's Omninet chip immediately. She lay back, arms at her sides, knees raised, her feet resting comfortably on the ground beneath her, and Eddie moved and sat down beside her, attempting to angle his body in a way that would allow the light of the early morning sun to illuminate his work on her left temple. It was difficult, but it was possible. Eddie had walked to a nearby restaurant and pilfered a knife and fork from one of the outdoor tables, taken before the staff could clear the utensils from the couple who had breakfast earlier. When Regina had seen him return with those four tools, she had become incredibly hesitant, but Eddie ensured her that he had sterilized them. How exactly he did that, she wasn't sure. But she didn't think she wanted to know. Lying there, Regina closed her eyes and gritted her teeth. She knew the pain was going to be nearly unbearable, unlike any pain she had felt in her life, but she had to go through with it. Not only would it prevent one nation from tracking her remotely, but it would also reduce the damage she would sustain from the EMP that Eddie would craft later, after the operation. It was of the utmost importance that Regina be removed from the network, and unfortunately the only way to do so was forcefully. Okay, Eddie said. This is going to hurt, but I need you to hold still. Regina nodded. You have to trust me, Eddie said, which sounded more like a warning than a reassurance. I will, Regina said. I do. Okay, here goes. Eddie started with the knife. He slipped the blade, dull though it was, into the edging of the small, coin-sized chip on Regina's temple. The chip was shaped like a mushroom, with its head rounding out of the chip's cavity like a small bubble, fairly flat. That meant that Eddie would need to insert the knife under the edge of the chip and make small prying motions all along the sides, slowly inching the chip out until he could access the wires that were connected directly to her synapses. The wires would have a small amount of length to them, which was the only reassurance he had, for if he accidentally stretched or cut Regina's brain matter, he could severely hinder her. Permanently. Regina winced in pain as she felt the knife slip beneath the Omninet chip. The cavity that was carved for the chip when she was a child had since grown, the skin and tissue tightening around the chip's stem. And the fit had become increasingly snug over the years. Eddie pushed the knife, gingerly, but still with force, beneath that edge, and it cut into her skin. The pain was a small, sharp scrape near her temple, but it rapidly intensified as he slid the knife's edge in a small circle, cutting its tip beneath the edge of the chip at all times. It felt like he was removing the largest scab Regina had ever had in her entire life, and he had to do it slowly so as not to cause damage to her neural network, 
and so she was forced to feel every centimeter of the blade's tip. Every scrape and cut as her skin's outer layers were removed, allowing Eddie more room to work. She felt him dab at her temple with his sleeve, and she realized that she must be bleeding. The sharp sting of the knife was punctuated with the prickling sensation of the fabric dabbing the wound, brushing against it to remove the blood as Eddie worked. Regina bit her lip, squeezed her eyes shut, and ignored it. She thought about Stanley, about Naomi, and about what she had to do. She thought about getting herself caught by the feds, about the escort they'd send, and about what she had to do once she got inside. She had no idea what the layout was like, but she tried to think about how she could find Stanley and Naomi. She figured that they knew she had the EnviroDrive. Maybe she could use that to her advantage. She felt every slightest motion as Eddie completed his circuit around the chip, and then began to, ever so slowly, tilt the blade, pushing the chip out of its cavity. This was the first time Regina had been able to feel the metal chip in her head. All of her life it existed without her ever thinking about it, barely even considering it. Now she was forced to recognize it, as it was dragged from its home of over thirty years. She felt the metal surface of its stem rubbing against the inside of her temple, the scraping nearly unbearable. She uttered a noise, a high-pitched release of tension as she continued to just bite her lip, close her eyes, and grab her own pant legs with white-knuckled intensity. Even though the stem was no more than the thickness of a traditional coin, it felt like an eternity to Regina. She felt it scrape the inside of her head, the dabbing of Eddie's sleeve, and the tugging at her neural tissue. It was a strange sensation, actually, bordering on pain. Her brain matter, in and of itself, couldn't feel anything. It felt more like Eddie were tugging on some piece of wire or some small cable that was lodged inside of her head, rather than actually pulling on a piece of her body. And then the tugging intensified for a very brief moment, and she felt every nerve on the left side of her head tighten up in coiling, tense pain before it suddenly released, and she felt her body relax. There, Eddie said. Done. Regina was exhausted, and she allowed her muscles to loosen as Eddie's words settled into her recognition. Done? she asked. Yep, he said. Just cut it right out. Fairly simple, actually. How are you doing? Regina's eyes fluttered, and her mouth dropped open. I'm... And just like that, she was out cold. Warren Baker strode down the hallway towards the recovery room where Agent Sherman currently resided. The last time he had seen Sherman, the agent had been altered to resemble something out of a science fiction horror story. A mixture of man and machine, with lights and wires and plates merging with skin and bone and tissue. He didn't feel particularly good about being the one to wake Sherman after such an operation, but it was Mr. Beta's orders, and so he had little choice in the matter. 
As he entered the recovery room, he sighed in exasperation to see Dr. Simon Temple standing there, waiting for him, masked head and goggled eyes watching the window that looked onto Sherman's bed. "'You heard?' Baker asked as he approached the door leading into Sherman's room. "'Yes,' Temple responded. "'Mr. Beta informed me. He recommended I continue my work on Gabriel uninterrupted.' but I trust Harlan's ability to put the finishing touches on that child. I wish to see this one open its eyes on a new world. Baker looked at Temple, seeing only a madman, and then accessed the door's controls via the Omninet. The door slid open, allowing the men entrance into the dark recovery room beyond. I know you think me insane, Temple said, following Baker through the door. But this operation is considerably important. Not just to my work, but to all of our work. My work doesn't involve physical mutilation, Baker said. His exposure to such strange practices in the last few days, as well as the close proximity to Dr. Temple, had his defenses up. He was growing less concerned with tact around the strange scientist. Mutilation? Temple asked as Baker turned on the lights in the recovery room. This is nothing of the sort. Need I remind you that Agent Sherman requested this operation? He was looking for adaptations and upgrades beyond that which his physical body was capable of. He had been beaten by a cybernetic foe and he wished to not have that happen again. Temple punctuated his statement by mentally turning the lights of the recovery room down dimming them from their bright white flare to a soft yellow glow. When Baker turned a questioning look on the doctor, he simply said, His eyes will need to adjust. Are they even still his eyes? Baker asked. One is, Temple responded. Baker clenched his jaw and turned away from Simon. He accessed the room's Omninet display again, and found the controls for the equipment connected to Agent Sherman. He started to electronically disconnect them, popping out cables with a thought, sending them dangling towards the floor, hanging limply from the ceiling, when Temple stopped him. I will do this, he said. It should be done with care, by hand. Are you going to wake him too? Baker asked with annoyance. It seems only fitting. Temple said as he carefully removed the remaining cables and wires that were connected into Sherman's back, shoulders, and head. Once free of all hard connections, Temple ran his hands up Sherman's spine, starting at its midsection and working up towards the man's skull. His fingers were spread, and he felt the metal that had been added to the man's body, and brushed against the spinal lights that glowed with a steady, ruby red. Is this standard procedure? Baker asked, but Temple didn't answer. When his fingers reached Sherman's head, he pressed his index finger into a small switch behind the ear. He held the switch in place for a count of ten, and then took his hand away and backed up. You installed a power switch in the man, Baker asked. It's less of a power switch and more of an ignition, Temple said. Don't worry. It's not like we can just turn him off. The two men watched as Sherman's back slowly began to rise and fall as the man took breath. He moved his arms to the bed frame, 
gripping the edges with cold steel fingers, and pushing himself up off of the bed with the whirring of gears and the pumping of hydraulics. Both arms, from the bicep to the fingertips, were purely mechanical, reflecting the dull glow of the room around him. As Sherman pushed himself into a sitting position, legs hanging over the edge of the bed, Baker saw the man's knees, shins, and calves, and even feet, were all mechanical as well. Baker swallowed. Jesus, doctor, you couldn't leave anything that was his? Temple didn't respond, but merely watched Sherman in silent adoration. The agent stood, pressing his metal, three-toed feet to the floor, and turning to face the two men. Sherman's chest and torso appeared, by all accounts, human, save for the glowing red lights near his right lower ribs. However, his neck had the segmented look of an artificial spinal cord and surrounding muscles. This look continued up into his face where his jawbone was replaced with a thick metal case which extended up into one eye. Set into that eye's normal position was a red lens that shifted and focused as Sherman looked around. The only skin showing on the man was his torso, the top of his shaved, scarred head, half of his face, and his thighs. Everything else shone with the glint of industrial design. Magnificent, Temple said. Sherman, Baker offered. How do you feel? Sherman turned to look at Warren, the one human eye remaining stoic and unchanging while the red lens focused, small, tiny lights turning within it. Excellent, Sherman said, his voice emitting from the metal faceplate with the same electronic waver as Temple's. Thanks to you, we have the dinosaur, Baker said. But not all of the suspects, Sherman stated more than asked. Correct. Then allow me to pursue them. No, Temple said. It is important that you stay in the facility for at least the next three weeks while we ensure your systems are calibrated correctly. There is still the matters of nutrition and energy convert and energy conversion to verify. You aren't field ready yet. Sherman looked at Temple. Very well, he said, but I'm counting the hours. Temple chuckled and then turned to Baker. Well, he said, should we go see if we can get similar results from Gabriel? Regina awoke to the bright mid-morning sun. She was lying on the concrete embankment beneath the overpass, and her head was throbbing. Her neck was stiff, and her legs were sore. She looked around her, and she felt a tinge of panic set in as she realized she couldn't see her Omninet display. And then the memory of the last events of her life slowly came back to her, and she relaxed. It was strange, having her field of vision completely open, and not obstructed by a heads-up display with scrolling news, blinking messages, and flashing advertisements. It was something she would have to get used to. I'm glad you're awake, 
she heard Eddie say from beside her. She turned her head slowly and saw him seated a short distance away, a small plastic container on the ground between them. I got your breakfast, he said. Thank you, she responded with effort, and then turned her head back to face up and closed her eyes. All she wanted right now was to allow herself time to relax after the operation, however minimal it may have been. She heard Eddie chewing his food, the sounds of occasional traffic above them, and the vehicles flying by on the skyway above. I was afraid I lost you, Eddie said. What? she asked. Well, you just blacked out, he said. I was afraid I'd cut something I shouldn't have. He considered her for a moment, and then asked, Did I? She laid there in thought, and then finally answered, I feel fine, she said. Sore, but fine. Good, he responded. I bandaged your head and I got us some food. You've been out a while, so it might be a little cold. That's okay, she said. I'm not too hungry, but I'll eat it later. Okay, Eddie said. Oh, and uh, I got you this. She heard him set something small and metal on the ground, and she turned her head once more, feeling the pain shoot up her neck as she did so. She saw the small spark peripheral sitting on the concrete beside her. Is that it? she asked. Eddie nodded. Short-range EMP? It just looks like an antenna. Good. I did my best to make it appear to be just an average peripheral. Without your interface, you'll need to activate it manually by pressing this button here, he said, pointing to a small red switch on its surface. The only button that's on it? she asked, joking. Eddie smiled. Just making sure, he said. It will sting, but it will really fry any other circuits nearby you. After that, you'd best pull it out and drop it before it burns into your skull. Seriously? she asked. Seriously, he answered. This thing will get pretty hot. Okay. Thanks, Eddie. Eddie nodded and continued eating. Eddie? Regina said. I was thinking about the EnviroDrive before I blacked out. I think you need to take it. Me? Why? When they catch me, they'll search me. If I have that on me, there's no way I'll have any leverage over them. If they don't find it, they'll probably assume that I've hidden it somewhere, or copied the information to something else. That will give me some insurance, at least. Oh, he said. Yeah, well, I guess that's a good point. She looked at him. What's wrong? Eddie shrugged. I kind of thought I'd be going with you. Eddie, she said. You can't. I've already got you injured. You're taking drugs just to help me. Owen doesn't want you. Not yet. There's no reason to speed that up. I have to do this alone. Yeah, he said. Good point. You need to hang on to that, she said. And Eddie, if you don't hear from me, or Stanley or Naomi within the next 24 hours, you need to leave. And go where? Eddie asked. Anywhere but New Washington. Start with the suburbs and work your way out. 
Keep on the move. It won't take Owen long to find out you helped me, and when they do, they'll probably come after you. I can go to Luna, he said. Is that safe? Regina asked. Is anywhere? Eddie countered. At least up there I can try and find out how this information is related to Desmond Kincaid, and figure out why it's so important to O.N. Something tells me that it isn't good. You don't have to do that, Eddie. But if I don't, who will? Regina sighed. At least she could count on him to do what was right, even if his methods weren't always the safest or the most reliable. She sat up and grabbed her food and began eating it. She devoured it quickly, wolfing it down in little time. She didn't realize how hungry she was, how hungry she had been. That feeling is easy to lose track of while trudging through the urban sewers or getting part of your brain removed. But now, waking up after a long, heavy nap and impromptu surgery, she was incredibly hungry. Okay, now what? Eddie said. Now, it's time that I get arrested. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.